Morning. Man, I love that song. That was worth the trip, the whole trip, just for that song for me. Like, I had never heard that song till this week. And so, um, man, that's awesome. How's it going in Florida? At my church this morning, there's six inches of snow falling. <laughs> so I'm really sad. Um, anyway, I, uh, I do miss my wife. She's supposed to be with me. Um, she was, we were supposed to fly down here on Thursday morning, get a, fly to Orlando, get a car, drive here. And on Monday, she started to feel kind of bad, and Tuesday... She got a little worse, so Wednesday she went in and got tested. She had COVID. So I'm like, okay. I told Brian, man, pray that I don't get it, you know. We're both vaccinated and all that, but uh, anyway, Omicron doesn't care any, about anything, whether you wear a mask or vaccinated or any of that. So anyway, she was feeling well enough. Uh, I stayed with her Thursday, and then and she was feeling well enough. She said, go ahead and go. So I got a late Thursday flight and uh, landed in... Orlando at midnight, got a car, drove here, and crashed at 3 a.m., and then we had the conference, and then, uh, and then yesterday I really crashed like you did. I went back to the hotel. I just crashed, and I slept really good last night, and she's going to fly down, I think, tomorrow. She's feeling better. I talked to her a little while ago, and she's going to meet me, and we're going to, she's the Disney girl, and so one of the ways I say I love you to my wife is I take her to Disney because she... She grew up in Southern, well, going to Southern California and, and, and doing that. So uh, anyway, I've got some friends here today. Uh, two of them just walked in, Dan and Ash. How you guys doing? It's snowing in Connecticut. I'm sure you guys missed that right now. I told them I'm kind of sad, you know. <laughs> i got to be in Florida on a snow day. Um, but uh, so uh, Dan and Ash just moved down here from, from Connecticut, and um, I'm thankful they're here. And then right behind them, two rows, are Jerry and Pam Morris. And they're, I, actually, I don't call him Jerry, I call him Moose. Um, we go way back. I met Moose when I was about seven or eight years old. And um, he's, he's like, he's one of my big brothers that I never had. I'm the oldest in my family. And my family got saved at a church in Roswell, Georgia, when I was eight years old. And Jerry's, Jerry was growing up in that church, Moose. Um, and his mom was the church secretary. And my parents, not long after we got saved, they were going through a discipleship kind of process, and they became youth workers in that church. So from about age nine forward, I was just this adopted kid in the, in the youth ministry. All the teenagers were like older siblings to me, as my because we went on every youth activity. We had the teens to our house all the time, and and so um, so I was just I just Moose and I had a lot of fun memories together. He he lives in Tallahassee. And he is the panhandle director for CEF, Child Evangelism Fellowship, and has been really his whole life. He served the Lord um, and, and uh, leading, leading children to Christ, he and his family. And it's just great how God's used them. So I, I texted him on Friday. I said, I'm in Jacksonville. You want to come see me? And he said, yeah. And so since I'm kind of going solo today without my wife, um, now don't tell anybody. My parents live in Pensacola. So after church, like right after church, we're going to drive over to Pensacola and surprise my parents. And we're going to crash their Super Bowl party tonight. 
They have no idea we're coming. It's just like this is just a plan materializing like in the few minutes before church. It's all coming together, you know. Like, Dana, are you coming? She said, no, I'll come tomorrow. I said, okay, I'm going to Pensacola. I called my brother, you know. I'm coming over. Make sure you got enough chicken wings, you know. I said, hey, Moose, you want to go to Pensacola? So it's all coming together. Um, so we're going to have a good time. Um, but anyway, I'm really glad to be here. I'm so thankful for Brian and uh, for his friendship. And it goes back quite a ways as well um, to the West Coast. And he and I have preached a lot of different places together. And I just love his spirit. I love what God's doing in your church. We had a great time the last couple of days in the conference. Um, and we had a lot of good laughs. If nothing else, we sat up here and had a lot of good laughs. And we encouraged each other. I want you to turn to John chapter 1. And the song we just sang is uh, perfect for where we're going to go today in this, in this message. <laughs> my mom, so I talked to my mom earlier today. I called her, I said, who are you guys rooting for? I'm trying to make sure they're in town, you know. And she says, well, we don't know. I said, where are you watching the Super Bowl? Are you watching it at your house or at my brother's house? She's, no, we're watching it here. We're having people over. I said, okay. She's like, well, I'm getting ready to watch you preach. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> I hung up the phone. She thinks I'm in Connecticut. And so she texts me. She says, you failed to mention you're not preaching today. <laughs> I am preaching today. She says, where are you? And so, you know, I'm not going to answer it right now, but <laughs> I'm just going to play ignorant like, she, like, oh, I thought you knew I was in Jacksonville. I thought you were getting ready to watch live stream for River City. Are you live streaming? Oh man, she might, I might, it might be wrecked. <laughs> she might be, mom, if you're watching, hi. Okay. Okay. Hey, we got to get to work. John chapter 1. What time do you guys usually get out of here? Now this lady says whenever, but everybody else is like, shut up. <laughs> she just lost every friend she had in the room. Don't say whenever. <laughs> what time do you usually get out? 11.30. Oh, well, okay. Dan and Ash know I only preach 25 minutes. No, they're laughing. Okay. All right. I will, uh, you know, my goal, honestly, is to get to the place where I start to see you dial out. And then I'm like, okay, I better shut up and then let you go. Um, I, 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 I love the Bible. Brian and I, we love teaching the Bible. So time, you get up here. And I, you love the Bible, so you get into a zone where you're, where you're really feeding people and, and you, you can tell it's helping them. You do lose track of time. You really do. Because you, you love people, you love the Word of God, and uh, you just, it, time just ev literally evaporates. But I know for you it doesn't really evaporate. It slow ticks by. Um, John chapter 1. Today, um, this message is entitled Living a Lagos Life. I just started a series through the Gospel of John with my church family. This was the second message in the series and it blessed me, and I pray that it will bless you. So I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 18. We're going to focus on verse 6 and forward, but we need to understand the context. So you follow with me. In the beginning was the word, that's a capital W, that's a name. The Greek word is logos. It's a Greek concept in the Greco-Roman world, first century. It was a philosophical concept. The idea of um, reason and truth was logos. Logos was this big idea. The reason for everything. The truth behind everything. So when John uses the word logos and makes it a formal name, he does something amazing. Because in first century uh, 
Greco-Roman philosophy, logos was just this abstract concept that philosophers argued about. So this is a lightning strike passage, and John is trying to get us, in the next few minutes, he's trying to amaze us, okay, with good reason to be amazed. But he's right here in the first phrase, he's saying this logos that you philosophers always try to look for and search for and think is behind everything. Number one, there is a logos. But number two, he, it's, it's a person. Logos is a person. And it gets even better. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So deity of Christ, Trinity, lot there. The same was in the beginning with God. So preexistent. Uh, Jesus was, this is about Jesus, by the way, all, all, all eternally preexistent, coexistent, co-equal with God. And creator, verse 3, all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, true life, abundant life. That word, there's three words for life in the Greek uh, language. Bios, suke, and zoe. Bios is your physiology, like biology. Um, suke is your psychology, your inner life, your inner self, your identity. And zoe is a, a God kind of life. It's the life only God can give. It's abundant, whole, full life, okay? So he's the source of life. <clears throat> and this life was the light of men. It brought men into truth and reality. Verse 5, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it. Now, I know you guys, I think you use the New King James, will probably use a different word here. Um, that, that word comprehend in modern English we think of, of understand. But the idea is it doesn't overcome. The darkness cannot, could not overcome Jesus. The darkness comprehended not. There was a man sent from God whose name was, now this is where we pick up today. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world. The world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John, John the Baptist, not John the author. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This is he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, teach us now from this passage. There's so much more here than we really have time to explore. But the, the few thoughts we will explore, I pray that they will uh, drive deep to our hearts, that we will make good decisions because of our study and our time together today. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Bear with me. My throat's a little tired. I'm going to get some water. <clears throat> anyway, I'm a grandfather, and uh, I have four grandkids, uh, Chad and Charlie are twins, boy and girl, um, and, then, and then Augie and Brady, are, uh, the, Chad and Charlie belong to Lance, my oldest, 
Augie and Brady belong to Larry, my second son. And uh, they're, they're both little boys, three and a half and about, and two. I think Brady's about to turn two. And they're a blast. And at Christmas time, my wife, just before Christmas, my wife came in uh, to the, to the uh, family room one day, and I was sitting there. We're empty nesters now. I was sitting there watching some news, and it had been a long day. I was a little bit tired, kind of depleted after the day. And uh, she laid out a book on the coffee table, a children's book, and she said, um, I need you right now. I'm like, okay. And I'm kind of half dialed in and half watching the news and half, you know. She said, no, no, I mean, turn that off. I need you. we got to record this book. I said, what do you mean record this book? She said, this is a special kind of book that we can record reading. We record ourselves reading it into the book. And then I'm going to give it to Augie and Brady for Christmas. And then they can carry it around the house and annoy their parents with the noise that it makes. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, I love to give the kids, the grandkids, noisy Christmas gifts. Um, to, to annoy their parents. I just wish I could have a remote or maybe through my phone make it louder and make it go off all night long, you know, just to get my kids back for all the times they annoyed me. So anyway, my wife says, uh, we're going to record this book. And I'm, I'm a little tired. I don't really want to do it. I don't have a lot of vision for this project. I'm a little bit disconnected. But she is into it. She has, there's this little thing you unscrew on it and, uh, and there's a button you press and then you read it. And it remembers what you read. And so anyway, so we, she, we open the first page. She presses record, and I start to read. You know, grandsons are made of snakes and snails. And, and she's like, she's like, stop. She presses stop. She looks at me. All of a sudden, she becomes like Steven Spielberg. <laughs> like all of a sudden, she's director and producer. And I'm the hired talent. And she's like, no, cut. And the look on her face was disgust. Like, who chose you? Like, did, how did you make it through the audition process? I can't work with this. Like, bring me somebody else, you know. She's got a whole different vision for this project than I've got. She's like, no, 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 I need more. She's like, come on, give me, no, give me more. Like, give me more inflection. I need, I need more energy. I need, and, she, and she's like, now, you know, take it up here and then land it here and then punch that one. I'm like, who is this? What happened? You know, this, this whole thing became like a movie production all of a sudden. And, I mean, she's stopping and starting and she's coaching and I'm not saying the word right and i got to punch this word. And, and, and then we got to do it together. The, we're going to alternate lines in the last line. That's what makes grandsons so great, you know, and she's conducting me like I'm an orchestra, you know. It was funny. I had to do my whole role at least four times on that book before we got it recorded the way she likes it. Okay. Um, so what was just a humdrum, little bit of nothing, meaningless kid's book to her was a big drum drama. It was a big dramatic production with incredible value. And I got to thinking about that story in light of our stories in 2021. And a lot of you are feeling about life right now, the same way I kind of felt at the end of my long day, same way I felt about recording that book. Like, I don't really have the energy to do this. I'm not interested in this. This isn't that great of a thing. 
Um, I was reading the Wall Street Journal this past week, and I know that the pandemic and all the politics surrounding the election and the social, you know, issues and and the vaccine issues and all of that, state to state, it's just a weird deal. So I'm not really diving into the politics, but here's the facts. Underneath all the politics, here's the reality of the last two years for, for you and for me and for everybody really in the world, but I'm talking especially our country. In America, now two years removed, as the dust is starting to settle, regardless about what you believe about conspiracies and all of it, um, there are verifiably documented two, nearly two million people, I'm sorry, 987,000, one million, 987,000 more people have died. Did I say two million yesterday? Yesterday? Okay. Um, so almost a million people more have died in the last two years than any long-term projection would have projected two years ago, pre-COVID. So take all the death rate, you know, people that were saying two years ago, death rate's going to be the same the next two years. No, a million more people in America are dead than any long-term projection would have projected. That is the number of people that died in World War II, but in a much shorter period of time. Now just let that sink in. And, and what I'm trying to tell you is, we have lived through World War II, but in two years, in terms of the death toll. We've been through that as a country. Okay, let me go a little deeper. Um, the, by the way, 80%, uh, something like, um, well, most of that is COVID, and then, and then there's, a, there's about 150,000 of derivative cause uh, deaths, like overdoses and suicide and lots of other problems. Um, 7.4 million years of life have been lost. Think about it, 7.4 million years. This was the saddest part of the article to me. 192,000 children have lost a parent or a primary caregiver. In America, 192,000 kids lost a parent or a primary caregiver. I don't care who you are or what you believe about it, that is heartbreaking. That's a... The article said that's not just a little tweak on the radar. That's a tidal wave of tragedy that swept into our country. And the real impact, the article said, is really only now being felt and able to be tabulated as we've been kind of clawing our way through the despondency and the on-off and the grief and, and all of it. There was a second article, though, that talked about, and I quote, many of us are hitting a new stage of pandemic slog in February. Only 19% of the American population says they are happy. So 81% of everybody in America would, would, would put their life, their whole life, somewhere south of happy. Think about that. Um, the article said the intense fear and anger that began in the pandemic have waned and have now given way to something else, dejection, melancholy, and what some people describe as an emotional or psychological whiplash. As we approach the start of the third year of the pandemic, many people feel more depleted and less able to complete daily routines. 
Psychologists say they call this phenomenon resilience fatigue. I don't know if you have felt it, but just not, not just normal winter or normal rainy season or gray season or whatever you have in Florida. You, I know you just have sunshine all the time. Um, whatever you have. But, I mean, just like, a, just like a general discouragement and a lack of energy just about life. It's called resilience fatigue. Resilience fatigue is the exhaustion that comes after a prolonged period of having to stay positive or motivated. So, like, we've been trying for two years to stay positive and stay motivated. Now we're tired of, being, of, of having to pretend to be happy, pretend to be positive. And, and resilience fatigue. So if you don't feel like brushing your teeth tomorrow, or if you have a hard day at work, just say to your boss, it's resilience fatigue. Sir, I can't come in, I, I can't make it in, resilience, fatigue. And honestly, it is real. It's a real thing. Not only laughing at it, making light of it. I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to say we're all in this mode collectively as a society, and everybody you know, that is heavily grieving. I, I don't know how many of you know somebody or have lost somebody that you love, but it's touched all of us on some level. I have I had friends I have a friend that was pastoring just a couple of hours from here in Central Florida, just just between Tallahassee and Orlando. He pastored a small Southern Baptist church. I was his youth pastor years ago. His name was Paul. Paul passed from COVID. His dad passed from COVID. His brother-in-law passed from COVID, within ten days of each other, leaving behind a brother, two sisters, and a mom. And they were all grieving within a span of 10 days, the loss of three. It's overwhelming, tidal wave of grief. Well, how do, how do, you, how do you break out of that? And, how, and what, truth, what truth can speak into that to give us hope and strength, real hope and real strength? The experience of John 1 is something like the experience of Dana speaking into my humdrum, non-dramatic <clears throat> non view of this little book with massive purpose and massive joy and massive energy that this is a story that's going to impact the lives of our grandkids and they're going to love this, so we're going to get this right. And John 1 does that to me. It's God stepping into my story and jolting me with hope and with energy and with joy that my story matters even during a pandemic. Okay, so John is writing this gospel for one purpose. He uses three words over and over in all of his writings, in John and then in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. John was Jesus' youngest disciple, possibly a cousin. Can't really verify that, it's just conjecture. Um, John was... I'll, I'll, I'll take all the things you can find out about John and mash them into one sentence. John was probably Jesus' best friend. Okay? He was the one closest in friendship relationally to Jesus. Um, it, when he writes his gospel, you can pick, between John and Peter, you can pick out a little bit of tension. John, John's the one that calls the most attention to Peter's failures. <laughs> and Peter, when Peter's failing, Peter's like, well, what about John? You know, when, when Jesus, at the end of the book of John, when Jesus says, you're going to die for me, Peter, immediately, like, if Jesus, you're going to die for me, I'm like, really? You know, 
Peter's response was, well, what about John? Like, doesn't he have to die for you too? <laughs> and Jesus said, it's my business what happens to John. You focus on you. You know, you, so there's this tension between Peter and John. Um, but John is writing as an old man. He was, the long, he was the apostle that lived the longest. The words he uses the most are truth, love, and then the, the word he uses the absolute most is belief. Believe. Some form of believe. So, you could, and he says at the end of his gospel that the reason he's writing these things is that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that you might have life through his name. By believing, you would have life through his name. So, I would summarize it this way. John is writing to give us truth, that we might believe that truth and then enter into a relationship of love with Jesus. That as you see, when you meet truth, you find out that truth is a person. And when you meet truth in person, you find out that he's likable and lovable because he's not only truth, he's also grace. Okay, which is really cool. He's not just truth, he's also grace. Let me give you an illustration of how that works. Okay. You ever fail a test? And you got to... You know, you got to look up your grade or you got to go talk to the teacher and the teacher hands you. You know, when I was in school, the teacher would come by the table and put the tests on the, you know, desk. they hand them out. And they always put them face down. And for me, it was math. I hated math. And I went through a season of math in sixth and seventh grade where I just didn't do well on a couple of math tests. And then I was like PTSD, scared of math the rest of my life, you know. But, man, when she put that paper down, you know, you just want to. How much red ink is on this thing? And you just, you know, you barely want to look at it, okay? Why? Because truth can be intimidating. You ever go to the doctor? You're a little afraid. Maybe you don't want to go to the doctor because you're afraid something's wrong or you know something's wrong, but you don't want to know the truth. You ever have a tooth that aches, but you hate going to the dentist? Why? Because you don't want to know the truth. What a mind game that really is, though. Because truth is still true even if you ignore it. And the longer you ignore truth, the more problematic truth can become. Especially if it's growing within you in the form of cancer or something wrong. You know, your tooth isn't going to heal itself, right? So a cavity becomes something worse, which becomes a root canal, which if you ignore that becomes an extraction, which becomes a denture or just bananas and pudding for the rest of your life. <laughs> One of the, you know, you, you ignore truth long enough and uh, you're in trouble, Okay. Truth is true whether we like it or not. Truth is true regardless of how we feel about it. And so we are this species that can just objectively, we can, or emotionally I should say, we decide to ignore truth as long as we can. But eventually truth is going to catch up with us. Eventually truth reckons with us. So truth is just this objective fixed reality. So when the idea of truth being a person, that's a little scary because you're like, okay, if truth is a person and truth knows everything, then truth knows everything about me. Truth knows what, what, what nobody else knows. Truth knows what I try to repair and hide and cover up and, 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 and mask and make up. And I, truth knows everything about me. So truth must not like me. <laughs> if truth is a person, tr truth must not like me. And truth certainly could never love me. 
because in our vernacular, love is conditional and love is something you earn and, you know, you're loved because you're lovable. And if truth is a person, truth must know I'm not really all that lovable really underneath all this if truth knows my heart. And that's why it's amazing when John said truth is a person and, tr and he's not just truth. He's grace and truth. So coming back to the teacher and the test, what if, what if your teacher came to you and said, now here's the truth, you failed. That's the truth, you failed, but I gave you grace because everybody failed, so I just took the test for you. <laughs> and I passed, and you passed. You got 100. Now I'm going to download all the real knowledge into your head so you, you know. I mean, if, if truth was also grace, all of a sudden the whole picture changes. Okay, so John says, I'm writing to give you truth that you might believe and that you might enter into a relationship of love. Okay, that's, that's where he's going, okay. And in verses one through, 1 through 5, if I could say it this way, there's so many big truths in verses 1 through 5, but I would summarize it this way. You have an author. You have a, you have a like a book. You are written into God's story. And all of time and space has an author, and this is a story. Logos is a person. There's a reason, there's truth, and there's reason, and there's purpose, and there's meaning behind it all. And he's a person, and that person, truth as a person, put on a body and came to planet Earth so we could look into his face. So he could introduce us to God himself. Okay. And that means that your story and my story have ultimate purpose and ultimate meaning and ultimate hope. And that's why John is writing. John, John is, at this point, by, by, chapter, by verse uh, 6, John is hoping our eyes are wide, our jaw is dropped, our minds are wowed. There is truth, Logos. He's a person. He came to us. He visited planet Earth. He punched a hole in time and space and came to us. And then John kind of changes a little bit. He brings in another character. And that's where I want to dial in for the next few minutes. Verse 6. There was a man. Now, what is the next word in, in your Bible after the word there was a man? Sent. Okay. Now, this is where this passage becomes personal to you and me and where I want to draw principles off of the life of John the Baptist forward into our stories today, into our pandemic 2021 stories, the Logos life. John introduces John the Baptist, John the author introduces John the Baptist as a part of the validating of the identity of Jesus, God on earth, in a body, truth, come to us to reconcile, to bring us life and light and hope. And, and he sent John the Baptist to bear witness. So there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. Now I want you for the next few minutes to identify personally with John the Baptist. Because John was sent into a first century darkness. Okay. And his job was to bear witness of Logos. To know Logos. This is so cool. John was Jesus' cousin. They grew up together. So John would have 
outside of Mary and Joseph and, and, uh, and John's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, John would have been one of the very first people to know who Jesus was, that he's God in a body on planet Earth. He would have been one of the very first people to place faith in Lagos, to understand what it meant to have a relationship with God through Jesus. And God sent John on purpose into the dark first century Greco-Roman Jewish oppressed world with an unbelievable, amazing, wonderful, good news message. So, three thoughts I want to give you real quick. The first one is this. Um, Jesus offers me a sent life. You guys still there? Are you with me? Okay. Jesus offers me a sent life. Uh, this, this, this story is profound. Where, just where it says, there was a man sent from God. Okay? And... Where was John sent, and why was John sent, and what was he sent into? Look at verse 6. There was, a man, there was a man distinct from Jesus, not Jesus, not the light, a witness of the light, sent from God, deployed, directed by the author of time and space, sent into first century Jewish world in a Greco-Roman oppressed time, whose name was John, and he was sent to bear witness. Now, in John's day, in John the Baptist's day, there were essentially... Uh, three worldview options, and I want you to write these down real quick, okay? The first is the naturalist worldview, and that was there's no God, everything just happened by accident, and we're not really sure how we all got here or what it all means, um, but since we can't really know, we're just going to live and party and drink and celebrate, we're just going to live it up, you know? Um, so, so it doesn't really matter. Um, we would call these Epicureans in a first century wor world view. Uh, they were just a philosophical uh, mind that was like, let's drink and party because tomorrow we're going to die. Doesn't matter. None of it matters. There's no God. There's no reason. There's no truth. So today, that worldview still exists. We just call it naturalism or we call it secularism or we call it postmodernism. There is no God, so just make it up for yourself. Whatever you want to be true can be true. Whatever you want to be. You want to self-identify as a tree? Go be a tree. You want to be a bowling ball? Call yourself a bowling ball. You know, like whatever you want to be, however you want it to be. So naturalist worldview is very hopeless. It means you have no meaning. You came from nothing. You mean nothing. You're going to nothing. And, and in a pandemic world, the naturalist worldview is crushing people. That's why people are committing suicide and overdosing at record rates. Because there's no hope. And, 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 and people have been told for a generation now, there's no God, you came from nothing, you're randomly evolved biological matter with no meaning and no value, and now a pandemic is crushing you. And so people are jumping off bridges and buildings and jumping in front of trains and, 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 and doing crazy things because there's no hope and there's no meaning to any of it. So our day is very similar to John's in that we're surrounded by hopeless secularists, okay? The second worldview in John's day was what, what I would call spiritualists. Okay, and it's, these are very similar, although they sound different, okay. The spiritualist is kind of like, um, we are God. Like there's this God force and we're all a part of it. And by the way, this is very prevalent today too. In John's day, these were called the Stoics. They were kind of like, there is a Logos, there is a truth and a reason out there, but we can't know it because it's just a force. It's an abstract, it's an idea, it's a spirit and all we can do is leverage it and tap into it and try to become better selves, self-help, self-improvement, okay? 
And so this worldview doesn't say there's no God, it just says I am God, and so are you, and so is that tree, and so is that rock, and so is that ocean. We're all God. So, so go be God and kind of c- construct your own, your, own, your own answers, your own salvation. Save yourself. See, the, the way these are the same, the naturalists and the spiritualists, is they both say save yourself. One says there's no God, so you're on your own. The other says you are God, so you're on your own. Go save yourself. Okay. And both are hopeless. Both leave you destitute and hopeless. The third worldview of John's day are what I would call religionists. All three of these are still alive and well today, and they're basically the only three worldviews we have today. Hang on, we're going somewhere really important. The spiritualist says, or I'm sorry, the religionist says, there is a God and he's very mad and you have to appease him. So catch this, spiritualist, I'm sorry, naturalist, no God. No meaning, you're just meat. Just, you live and you die and just, just go live. Don't overthink it. Don't even ask the questions because there's no answers. That's the naturalist. The spiritualist says, you are God, so go, go be the best you. The religionist says, there is a God and he's really angry at you and you better appease him. It's still a save yourself message. And in John's day, these were the Jewish people. These were the Judaizers. These were the people that had lost sight of the grace and mercy of God and we're still trying to keep God's laws to appease God and to save themselves. In our modern day, 21st century, it's just works-based religion. It's just the church world that says, make yourself better so God will forgive you so you can go to heaven because you're good enough. And, and throughout the centuries, anytime there's a religiosity, a moralism, a behavioral metric that says, if you live up to this standard... God is at the top of that ladder, so climb the ladder of goodness, be good enough, and you can get to God, and you can be forgiven, and you can have heaven, you can have eternal life. And that, too, is a save yourself message. You guys with me? So, I want you to imagine you're standing in a room. You were born into a little room with three doors, okay? And, and, and whichever door you choose, the rest of your life unfolds through one of those doors, okay? And the sign on the first door is naturalist. And that means you're going to say there's no God. When you step through that door, there's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's no God, there's no eternity. You have one life, and so you make it up as you go, and you save yourself, and you work hard um, to try to survive the pandemic. But no one's helping you. Okay. Door number two is the spiritualist, which is you are God, and so you still save yourself and make it up as you go and work hard to be the best you you can be and try to survive the pandemic. There's still no meaning or no ultimate hope or eternity. The third door says religionist, and that's be good enough, join a church, get religious, be moral. There is a God, keep all of his laws so he'll forgive you for your sin and you'll one day have heaven. And that door, that, behind that door is a whole lot of hard work, a whole lot of discouragement, a whole lot of failure that you trudge through, trying to appease God, never quite sure how he feels about you. And hopefully one day you get to heaven because you were good enough. So you're standing there, 
knocking at all three doors. And in John's day and our day are the same. These are the three options we have. Until, until John's message. Because John steps into the room and he says, look, all three of those doors are lies. All three of them. And here's the big lie. There's a fourth door. The world we live in says, no, those are your options. And lumps us, by the way, into door number three. Oh, that's just church. That's just religion. Wrong. The gospel is a fourth Totally different option. Okay, so I'm making this word up. The fourth option is the gospelist. Okay? A biblicist. A graceist. Because God, Jesus, Logos, steps into the room of life with you. Truth in a body comes up beside of you, turns you around, you look in his face, and you're about to say, which door do I choose? And you're expecting, by the way, if you could have that conversation with God, I would expect God to say, choose the moralist, choose the religionist door, because I'm perfect and good, and you know you're fallen and sinful, so go through that door and be good, so I'll forgive you. We, we look into the face of God expecting to see truth condemn us. But the face of God softens and says, yeah, the truth is you're sinful, but that's why I came. Because you can never get through that door. So I came to open a fourth door for you. And the fourth door I'm going to open for you, the word on the door is, anybody want to guess? They're all good. (laughs) You guys gave me a whole bunch of good words. The word I would put on the door from this chapter is grace. Yeah, and and it's signed Logos. It's signed Jesus. Okay. So the fourth door is, here's what's behind the fourth door. There is a God. He is truth and reason, Logos. You are sinful in his sight. You're failed. But he came as grace to rescue you from your failure. So when you look into his face, you're you're not just condemned in truth, you're rescued in grace. If you believe. See, verse 12 says, as many as received him. Okay. This is really important. 11 years ago, I walked into a doctor's office, I got diagnosed with cancer. Doctor said, "You you have Hodgkin's lymphoma. Now that's truth that I didn't want to hear. But, but, then, but I said, doctor, is this going to kill me? He said, it would. It will if you don't receive chemotherapy and radiation. But if you will believe me and receive chemotherapy and radiation, then we can kill the cancer without killing you. And this is what he said. He was an Ethiopian doctor, had real thick accent. He said, no, no, no you got to find another way to die. Yeah. Hey. He said, this is not going to kill you. 
He said, we're going to take over your whole life for one year. Then you're going to go live your life. You're going to go pastor your own church. <laughs> that was when I was still on staff in California. I said, are you a believer? He said, he said no, I am Muslim. <laughs> and he put his head down like he was ashamed. He goes, and he looks at me real sheepishly, how do you feel about that? And I laughed. I said, well, if you're not planning to blow me up, I guess I'm okay with it for now. <laughs> and he had a good laugh at that. He goes, actually, my father, he said, I used to be a Christian. My father converted to Muslim. I have to respect my father. I witnessed him all the way through my cancer battle. And one day, he was, I had lunch with him. I took him out to lunch. I was sharing the gospel. And uh, he, would, he wouldn't eat. He was just, um, I know. In fact, the first time I invited him, he couldn't go to lunch. He said, I can't go to lunch because I'm fasting. I'm on this Muslim fast. I said, really? He said, yeah, I'm, um, certain hours of the day, I'm not even allowed to swallow. I looked at him. I said, you need to become a Christian. <laughs> he goes, I have been thinking that. <laughs> it was great. Anyway, I gave him my done book, and, and uh, I've been in contact with him since. And I don't know that he's become a believer, but... All that to say, Lagos, grace came to give me a rescue. Now, my, now, what does that have to do with my point? Because my point is, Jesus offers a sent life, okay? This is why this matters for you and me. Those of you who have trusted Christ, this is why this is so important. As John was sent into the darkness of first century life, where there's three options, naturalist, spiritualist, religionist. And all of them dead ends. And utter hopelessness. So you and I have been sent into 2021. When God knew in all of history past there would be a global pandemic. He sent his people with his message. The problem is Christians are blowing it right now. Christians are fighting. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? Don't, don't. I, I'm thankful for my liberty as an American. But can, can I tell you what is infinitely more important is the spiritual liberty of people lost in darkness. And so we are screaming and fighting and spitting on social media over foolishness while within our reach people are literally stepping in front of trains and jumping out of buildings in despair and I'm not just grabbing those terms out of thin air I can show you the news stories I've read in the last two weeks of wealthy successful people who have stepped in front of trains and jumped out of buildings Former Miss USA contestant jumped out of a building in New York City and killed herself last week. The week before that, the CEO of MARTA in Atlanta stepped in front of one of his own trains and killed himself. I mean, story after story after story of hopelessness and despair. I have to, I have to wrap it up. Let me give you the second thought. So you, are, you have a set life. If you live the, the non-Logos life, you're just going to wake up every day and mope your way through a pandemic. And hope that your guy wins the next election. We're all jealous of the free state of Florida up in the Northeast, you know. <laughs> we all want Governor DeSantis. Share him. Come on. You know. 
Anyway, um, you, you can mope your way through the pandemic or you can wake up and realize, wait, the, God's writing an amazing story and he's written you into it and he wants you on mission like my wife wanted me on mission with reading the book for Augie and Brady. He wants you to engage and there's somebody in whose life you can make a difference, which is, which is the second part of this. second thought is Jesus offers a difference-making life. Because I'm sent by my Savior into 2021. You know, I, I'm like you. The, the pandemic threw me for a loop. And it was a couple weeks in and I began to realize, wait a minute, I'm a pastor. I don't have the luxury of just moping my way through this. People are probably expecting me to encourage them through this. So I better get a hold of God for my own soul so I can help the souls of others. Okay? And I had to quickly process, wait a minute, God sent Jeremiah into the decimation of his own hometown with a message for the exiles going to Babylon. And God sent Ezekiel to a riverbank in the middle of the Iraqi desert with a message for those that were in exile. Not, not everybody that God sent somewhere got to be a 21st century American pastor of some megachurch or have a TV program or fly in planes. I mean, it, like, you know what I'm saying? We've got this 21st century American idea of what it means to be a pastor. And sometimes God sends us into raw, broken, like, mess. That's when he calls his people to engage. So I'm sent, and I'm sent to make a difference because this is a life-changing message. There's a lady in our church named um, Marina. During COVID, before COVID, I got to hurry, she was a Buddhist, a mysticist. She was into Hinduism. She was into yoga. And she was Catholic. And she was into philosophy and psychology. So when, um, when the pandemic hit, everything shut down. She couldn't go to all of her classes and her yoga and her metaphysical stuff. And it, it, the, the, the bottom dropped out on her. It just it left her absolutely disoriented. And she said, I got online and I just started uh, researching Jesus. She said, I came across the gospel on YouTube and I started investigating the gospel. And she said, I realized the message of grace was what I've been looking for all along. She said, I realized no matter if I turned to Hinduism, mysticism, Buddhism, Catholicism, it was all the same. It was, the, it was different doors into the same room. Save yourself. Hopeless. That's what's funny about my illustration about the three doors. No matter which door you go through, you end up at the same place. Save yourself. You're in trouble. And she said, I just, but then she heard the gospel and she got saved. And then she found our church online. Now, now, mind you, I don't know any of this is happening. And she's watching our church online for a year before she ever came. And then she came and got baptized not long ago. And she sits there every Sunday and just literally weeps while I'm preaching. And she's nodding like, and she says, a year ago, I was a, I was a diehard liberal on every issue, political, social, in every way. I was absolutely anti-Christian, anti-gospel, and God has completely flimped my mind because of the gospel. So, difference-making. Jesus offers me a sent life. Jesus offers me a difference-making life. And I just want you to see the third one. i got to wrap up. 
But this is powerful. Jesus offers a grace life. I want you to see verse 16. So John was sent. John bear witness. In a dark time, difference maker. And what was he bearing witness of? Grace. Look at verse 16. This is just one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. And of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. Now, I'm not sure what your version says, but a modern vernacular rendering of that, rendering of that is out of his abundance, out of his vast, infinite, limitless supply, we get to receive grace times grace times grace times grace. Let me tell you what happened when you met Jesus. When you believe and receive, you were planted under a Niagara Falls of grace. And it is always flowing and it will never stop flowing and you are always immersed in the grace of God. And that is your sustaining resource every day of your life in every way. And it is not just yours, it is so abundant and it is so full and it is so infinite that you can be lavish and generous in giving it away. The grace of God doesn't just save you unconditionally, it, it, it lavishes you with his abundance in a way that makes you a gracious person. What kind of person would you be, if you, financially speaking, if you had a limitless supply of money that would never run out? How much fun would it be to just give away money always, all the time? And that's who we are to be as God's children in 2021 during a pandemic. We're to be grace givers, lavish, generous in every way. Yes, witnessing, but just gracious in every imaginable way that we can be, giving ourselves away in a world that is absolutely starving for spiritual and emotional hope and help. Now, my friends, this is a reason to be amazed. Um, I want to close with a quick story. I want to come back to that little book. So that little book, we recorded it. I, I finished my task. I passed Dana's test. We gave it to the kids for Christmas. This past week, Larry texted me. He said, Dad, um, the funniest thing happened. He said, Augie was in his bedroom listening to the book for like an hour. Just over and over and over. And eventually, he closed it and left it, sitting on the floor. And Brady, little two-year-old Brady, crawls in there, finds it, <clears throat> opens it up, and as soon as you open it, it starts to talk. And it's Nana and Papa talking. And Larry, wa Larry walked in and watched him grab this book, open it, and the very first page grandsons are made of snakes and, you know, and it starts going through and it's me and Dana, Dana and me and then it's, and he said, Brady looked at it, heard it and his eyes got really wide and his jaw dropped and he looked up at Larry and he went, whoa. And he pointed at the book and he goes, Papa, Nana? Book? And I'm going to fill in the gaps. Papa is in the book? 
He was mind blown. Now listen. John, Jesus and John want us to have that experience. Because not only is our father, Papa, in this book, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. You get written into his book, he comes into your life, the Logos comes into you, all of a sudden your story is on a master plan in a big beautiful story. All of a sudden your pandemic life, you're a sent one, you're a witness, you're a difference maker, you're a grace giver. You ever seen one of those shows or movies where like somebody comes from the future? we came from 2025 or 2050 or 2591 you know we're here to save the day you and I were sent into 2021 so let's live the sent life let's live the difference making life let's live the grace life and let's help other people be amazed at what Lagos has done for us thanks for your attention this morning let's pray God thank